Funding for Think comes from SMU Graduate Liberal Studies Programs. You're listening to Think on KERA 90.1. I'm Chris Boyd. What's the difference between people who wait all year for the nonstop social schedule of the holiday season and those who just count the days until it's over? Writer Sophia Demling calls this the most extroverted time of the year. That's all well and good if you are an extrovert, the sort of person who gains energy from spending time with other people, the more the merrier. If you are an introvert, on the other hand, you need some time to yourself in order to feel like yourself. And that can mean a little partying goes a long way. The good news is that Dembling herself is an introvert and has developed tips and tricks not just for surviving holiday festivities, but for truly enjoying them. Sophia Dembling's books include The Introvert's Way and Introverts in Love, which will be published in January. You can also find her blog, The Introvert's Corner, online at Psychology Today. Sophia, welcome back to Think. So glad to be here. Um, So what's not to like about parties if you are an introvert? Well, parties can be fun, but they can also go on too long. There's a lot of stimulation to a party. There's a lot of people coming at you. There's a lot of necessity for small talk, which we tend to um, not be great at and not enjoy very much. And I enjoy parties up to a certain point. I enjoy parties of a certain size. You know, a 20-people party is kind of ideal, usually most of whom I know. Uh, but other than that, it can just be a little bit too much coming at you. Uh, and and I, find it fi- I find it quite overstimulating. And I think a lot of introverts will have that same experience. It's also, yeah, it's interesting when you say you like to go to parties where you know people. Um, I have friends who love to go to a party where, you know, they only know two other people and then they'll make nine friends. And for other people, it's just um, kind of an anxiety producing thing, even if they're meeting perfectly pleasant people. That's absolutely the way I feel. I, I like going to parties where I know everybody. It's an opportunity to socialize with people I know because I have li- limited energy for socializing in general. This allows me to sort of roll a whole bunch of, you know, social contact into one <laughs> yeah. evening. And I enjoy conversation. I, I don't enjoy small talk very much. I don't enjoy chit chat very much. But with people you already know, you're starting ahead of the game. And you can plunge into conversation a lot more quickly and you know, not have to do the whole, you know, where are you from and how do you know the host kind of stuff. And there's also, I guess, a little bit of feeling out the personality of a new person and trying to make sure that you're connecting with them on a, on a you know, fundamental level. Yeah, yeah. We, we like to sit around with people for a while and uh, get to know them slowly and kind of observe for a while before the conversation starts. For example, when it comes to networking, the kind of networking where you're plunged into a group with a cocktail and you're supposed to walk around and meet people is I just I don't I don't do it because mm-hmm. I'm bad at it and I end up standing in a corner. But if it's this luncheon, for example, where I'm sitting at a table with a group of people for a period of time, I can enjoy that and I can sort of perform well because I have the time to sort of get to know the people around me, at least to an extent. So how do you make decisions about which invitations to accept and which which to pass up? Well, the bottom line with parties is that they're supposed to be fun. And if it doesn't sound fun, that's one of the first criteria. If it just doesn't sound fun, you're not doing anybody any good by being there. I do have a policy, though, that friends show up for friends' parties. I think it's it's a kindness. Um, if, If you're going to hurt somebody's feelings, you want to show up. If it's something that's going to be professionally Um, beneficial. You know, you want to go to your office party and at least let the boss see you're there. 
you don't have to stay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at, at any of them. I, I, I almost never am going to stay until the party closes down. But I really, I try to choose the ones where there's a personal reason to go, that it's it's something I want to do for the person who's having the party, or there's a professional reason to go. Or I'm just in the mood, which actually does happen for all introverts, I think. Well, never say all, right. a lot of introverts. Yeah, we should be clear here. Um, we, we should go back and do some definitions, because I think people are much more aware of the differences between introversion and extroversion now than they were even a decade ago. But there are still people who think introversion means shyness or means you simply don't like people. And, and will you clarify all that for us? Yeah, that, it's funny. I was out last night and somebody, I was talking about being on this show, and somebody said, you're an introvert, but I see you out all the time. And it isn't about not liking people, and it isn't about social anxiety or staying in all the time. It's more about the amount of energy that is, is expended for us to be out and about with people. It, it takes a lot out of us. I mean, the, the, the working definition is that intro, introverts are drained of energy in uh, interactions, and extroverts gain energy in social interactions. We don't really have the science to back that up because what what is that energy? What mm -hmm. is psychic energy? We don't know how to measure that. But it seems to to ring true. So while I do really like people, and I like to say I like people so much that I like to get to know them one-on-one -on -one, as opposed to just having a 1,000 people around me, um, I can get worn out by a long stretch of socializing. Um, one of the things you like to do if a party starts to be overwhelming is find a little job. Can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you um, had mentioned the idea of what hosts can do for their introverts. And it really helps to have a little something to do because it allows you to get back inside your head a little bit. You're not there. Your job is no longer making conversation. The conversation might happen as you're doing your job. You know, if you post yourself in the kitchen and make sure everybody has a drink, you end up chatting with everybody, but you're not sort of... That's it's not as much of a performance. Mm -hmm. And I find that I heard from one guy who went to his class reunion and just decided he was going to be the photographer. And he said, I had a great time. I talked to everybody, but I was able to keep that one step back with the camera between me and people. And it helped him to mingle more comfortably. Yeah. And then I guess if you're not saying anything, people think, well, it's because you're busy doing this thing as opposed to, oh, they, that person just doesn't like me or something. Doesn't like me, isn't having fun. You know, you get a lot of that. Why aren't you having fun? A lot of introverts, myself included, like watching the fun. Mm -hmm. You know, I will find a, a corner where I can see everybody having, you know, fun and partying. And that is fun to me, but it, it doesn't look like fun. I had a really uh, interesting epiphany. I, I have what I call my board of extroverts, where I can approach, you know, I, I'll come up with questions about extroverts, and I can approach them and say, hey, what, what do you think about that? And I said to them, I know what it feels like when I've had too much interaction. It's kind of a brain gets tired. It's almost like a muscle gets tired. What is it like for extroverts when they haven't had enough interaction? And one of them said, I get depressed. And this was a very sort of a light bulb moment for me because that's shows why they're coming to us mm -hmm. and saying, are you okay? For their experience, that being that quiet, being that separate, would mean that something is troubling them, would be depression or depressing. So they're coming to us with this love, whereas a lot of introverts find it just annoying. But it was, it was an interesting um, moment for me when I realized how they're approaching us.
And I guess we all do that, right? We all sort of take our own experience and project it onto other people because that's what we know how to do, unless we've you know trained ourselves to be very sensitive to the differences between people. Yeah, I think we do. And, and I'm very opposed. There's sort of a lot of extrovert bashing among the introvert community, and I dislike that a lot. They accuse them of being shallow. Um, and I don't think that's true. I think that we feel shallow if we're chit-chatting. And so, therefore, we decide that people who are capable of that kind of light conversation are shallow. But it's not true. They're not less creative. They might use their creativity differently, or they might have to go into an introverted space in order to be creative. But we're just approaching life differently. And introverts want extroverts to understand them. And I'm also saying we need to figure out what they're feeling so that we can move away from this sort of... um, you know, arguments about which is better. Yeah, we don't need like one more thing dividing American society, right? It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, mm-hmm. And it can be magnificent if you are an introvert to just sort of sit somewhere and watch an extrovert work the room and have a fabulous time. It, it's very impressive, yes. One of the interesting things I learned when I was working on introverts in love, people often ask me, um, birds of a feather are opposite attract. You Should introverts look for introverts or introverts look for extroverts? And in fact, They're both kinds, Mm -hmm. you know, but either way works. But for a lot of the introverts, the attraction was the extrovert social skills. Mm -hmm. They they liked watching it. They they appreciate being able to benefit from it, you know, that that the the social life is created for them. And I think it is really pretty impressive to see. I can't I I can see what extroverts are doing, but I'm still not very good at doing it. Mm -hmm. It still feels uncomfortable to me, but it's definitely impressive. I love the idea if you are um, a member member of a couple, of using your spouse or your partner to help run interference so that together you form this like perfect unit of of party behavior. Yeah, yeah. To have somebody who will cover for you if you disappear for a moment or who'll say, oh, no, no, she's fine. You know, that that's just her way. Uh, I had one couple talked about how when um, one woman's family would come, there'd be a long period of time of family visiting. And this woman would say to her wife, okay, you could go. Go go, go take a walk, go to the store, go do something. I know you need a break. Mm-hmm. And that's so much better than having someone just sit there like in silent misery. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you get that 20 minutes, sometimes I guess you feel better. Absolutely. That's I talk a lot about getting sort of micro breaks. If, if you can't shut yourself in your house for a week to recover from the first round of parties, if you can step out, I, I joke that I, I smoked probably a whole lot longer than I should have because it was stepping out of the party for a cigarette <laughs> right. that kept me going. But yes, if you can step out for a few hours, you know, if you've got a house full of people, you can run an errand, you can go to the supermarket, you know, you can take a walk. Those little things can just sort of get you, give you a little energy for the next round and you take the bathroom which every introvert knows is the best place in the world to hide during a party if you can just get in there and get quiet for a few minutes, it sort of girds you for the next round. Yeah, no one's going to question your need to use a private room for a moment. Exactly. Although sometimes if you watch me, you'll think I have a bladder problem because I'm going <laughs> <in that. laughs> um, Even something as simple as turning around and like looking at photos on a shelf or the books that are mm-hmm. sitting there. Yes, yeah. D- talking to the pet, you know, mm-hmm. looking at books. 
Um, if, if it's a, a family visiting where people are around for a long period of time, something like a jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. where everybody can participate. You're in the room with everybody, but you can take your focus to something quiet. I like to knit. That's another good way to sort of keep your brain in a quiet place regardless of what's going on around you. And it, it, it sort of people respect that space a little bit. Let me ask you about this. These days, it would seem the perfect tool, but maybe the perfect crutch for an introvert would be pulling out that phone because, um, you know, everybody thinks, well, maybe you've got an important email to answer or you're dealing with something. On the other hand, it can seem a little off-putting. What, do you have rules for when it's okay to, to, to grab that phone? I, I think it's pretty rude to pull it out in, in most cases. If I wanted to do it at a party or something, I'd probably step away, mm-hmm. step aside. I think, too, again, talking about introverts in love, um, it becomes a crutch that inter- that interferes with your interacting with your meeting people. If you're interested in getting to know people at all, you have to step out into the world with the idea that you're approachable or you're watching or you're engaged. And by constantly looking at the phone, you're sending out perhaps more of a leave me alone message than you intend. Um, people are not going to try to break through that. But I think at a party, at a dinner. Unless you're doing, oh, you know, it's conversation. Let me Google that and find the answer. Uh, I think it's it's not acceptable. Is there something in your posture that says, say you're at a party and you're not engaged in talking to anybody, you'd, you'd be happy to speak to someone who walked up to you, but you're not feeling like walking up to someone else. Is there is there a way you can communicate that silently? I try to think. I, I know as a radio person, you know that if you have a smile on your lips, your your voice sounds warmer. Yeah. And I think that having that in your head, having your face open, having your body posture, not crossed arms, not crossed legs, looking around, reacting to what's happening, I think that sends out the message. I really think it's it's almost a mindset that allows you to relax your posture a little bit and and indicates that you're open. We're speaking this hour with writer Sophia Dembling. Her books include The Introvert's Way and Introverts in Love, which will be published in January. We're talking this hour about introverts and the holidays. If you'd like to join the conversation with a story or question, you can call us at 1-800-933-5372. You can email think at kera.org or send me a tweet at Chris Boyd Think. Funding for Think comes from SMU Graduate Liberal Studies programs. Accepting applications for January to design your own Master of Liberal Studies degree at SMU with concentrations in global studies, creative writing, and organizational dynamics. More at smu.edu slash MLS. You're listening to Think on KERA 90.1. I'm Chris Boyd. We're speaking this hour with writer Sophia Dembling. Her upcoming book is called Introverts in Love. That's out in January. She's also author of The Introvert's Way. We're talking about how introverts can survive and enjoy the holidays. You can join us at 1-800-933-5372 or email think at kera.org. 
Sophia, would you rather get to a party early or late if you're not going to stay for the entire duration? Oh, I'd much rather get there kind of a little bit late-ish. Not, not really late, but I want there to be people there already so that I don't feel like the performance, yeah. you know, that, that I'm responsible for, for the chit-chat. And how do you, are you okay with ghosting out of a party? I am. That's a little bit controversial, I guess. I, it, it depends on the size of the party, of course. If we're talking 20 people, I'm, I'm more likely to make say my goodbyes because it's not going to turn into an endless round of it. Uh, but if it's a large party, I pretty much assume nobody's going to notice until I'm long gone, and so mm-hmm. I'll I'll just slip out. But some people would t- say that's terribly rude. I don't know. So I, I, I'm no etiquette expert, but it seems like, you know, a friendly email the next day will take exactly. care of any, you know, hurt feelings or whatever. Yeah. Um, what about, do you have a signal with your husband when it's time to go? Yes, we do. Actually, when we have a line, which came from a Mardi Gras party, where he walked up to me and muttered, I'm sick of wearing these beads. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was time to go. So now, yes, we will. one of us will likely say, I'm sick of wearing these beads, <laughs> and it's time to go. There's also, as many couples have, the, you know, the looks, the eyes, yeah. the tilt of the head. Sometimes, though, there's somebody who's having a great time, right, and somebody who's ready for bed and a little quiet. Um, are there? Does it help to have those conversations ahead of time? It can, yeah. It it can. It can help to take two cars if it's really bad, or it can help to just say, okay, this time I'm taking one for the team, mm-hmm. but next time we leave when it's when it's time, you know. Um, it's one of the million compromises of being in a couple. But there are plenty of couples who'll say, okay, we are staying an hour we'll, and discuss it beforehand. But it's not, it's not entirely fair to the extrovert who, if they're having a really tremendous time. So I think it always has to stay open for negotiation. So a holiday party or 10 holiday parties, that's one thing. At the holidays, a lot of people often either go and stay for days on end with um, people they love very much or they have people in. And then it's a little bit harder, right? If you're a guest, there's this question of how much you can really slip away to be on your own without seeming like an ungrateful guest. And we'll talk about hosts in just a minute. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one things like making the sacrifice to go to the store to get those last minute ingredients can help. Uh, Sometimes staying in just staying in bed a little longer staying in the bedroom without coming out as early mm-hmm. will buy you a little extra time or staying up past everybody else's bedtime yeah. and having a little bit of quiet time there you know hopefully it's with family who by this time understands oh you know that's just Sophie she needs some time alone but you can offer to walk the dog or run some errands or you know clean the bath well i'm not going to clean anybody else's bathroom <laughs> what am i saying uh but you know do do some kind of chore that will allow you again to retreat into your own head a little bit. Mm-hmm. I love the idea. No one's going to question you if you put on your running shoes and say you're going for a walk. Exactly. Yeah. I, I never travel without a pair of walking shoes, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's half exercise and half escape. Absolutely. Now, if you are the host, um, you don't want to abandon your guests. So how do you find time for yourself? Well, that's almost easier because you can sort of retreat to your room. You have your private space to retreat to. Um, and again, you can you can go and do those errands. You can beg off. I mean, really, it, it has to do with finding acceptable reasons to remove yourself from right. from the surroundings. And there certainly, as a host, there are 
probably lots of them, even if you have to make them up. (laughs) And as a host, should we be aware and should we create excuses for our guests so that they don't even have to think about this if it's a possibility that they maybe just need a little time? Yeah, I mean, if you can, certainly, if you can come up with that little um, errand or hand in the cart key car keys and say, hey, you want to go take a look at that or send them sightseeing on their own. Uh, Or, you know, even such things as going to the mall in a group where you can sort of people can sort of split off on their own and, you know, have a little downtime in the dressing room or, you know, you can say, oh, gosh, I've got to go find a secret gift and and slip off on your own and have 15, 20 minutes on your own. That's brilliant. Maybe you just sit in the fetal position in the food court. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 1-800-933-5372 is our telephone number. Let's speak now to Hazel in Dallas. Hi, Hazel. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to say a comment that I've never listened to your call, and it puts perspective to my husband and I relationship for 18 years where he is the introvert and I am the extrovert. So thank you um, for having the show. Oh, sure. Great. Thank you. I guess there are a lot of uh, sort of mixed relationships, right? Uh, there really do seem to be. I would say that the the people I interviewed, about 50 introverts uh, for the book, and of the ones who are in relationships, it was about fifty-fifty: introvert, extrovert, introvert, introvert. Um, you know, there's sort of you you can see why extroverts would be drawn to introverts because we're good listeners. We don't want to wrestle them for the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, it does seem to be a really good and and for the in, for the introvert, it's somebody who again will bring them the social life. Yeah. is our number. You can also email think at KERA.org. We have a tweet here from Patricia who says, autism doesn't uh, equal introvert, but parties can be hard to deal with. Um, Any thoughts regarding autistic people socializing for the holidays? Well, it's actually interesting is that there is one theory uh, that's been discussed that introversion is, in fact, on the perfectly healthy but on the autism spectrum in terms of the, the the amount of overstimulation. But I think as with introverts and perhaps to a greater degree with, with autists, with people with autism, is finding a place where they can be quiet and, and retreat and, and allowing them the retreat without any sort of fuss or hubbub or questioning or, you know, justification necessary to just simply say, okay, why don't you go, you know, take some quiet time, it's fine, and not make it seem like, oh, poor little Sophie needs to escape for quiet time. Is it common for people who are introverted to be more sensitive to, like, physical stimuli than than other people? It seems like it might be, but I don't think we know that yet. There's Mm -hmm. another... uh, sort of trait that's called highly sensitive people that's being discussed as well. And it does not seem that, and it's a woman named um, Elaine Aaron writes about highly sensitive people. And it seems like there's overlap, but it does not seem that they're always uh, concurrent. 1-800-933-5372 is our number. Let's go to Alex in Fort Worth. Hi, Alex. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I really enjoyed the broadcast. I, uh, I, I really like that y'all have articulated a lot of the escapes that I didn't quite know that I was doing over the holidays. But I was I was calling to share my experience and then ask a question about ambiverts. And my, my wife's cousin turned me on to the idea that people could be both. And uh, my, my best friend and I 
have discussed that, and we think we're both that way, and that's why we've kind of meshed together. That I, I love being the life of the party and talking to everybody, and I my hideout and my escape is usually running the errand. I love being the guy to, to go get something from the store and listen to the radio. But I also find solace in one-on-one conversation. And uh, where I get to be the extrovert, I, I like to dominate the conversation. And I'll never admit that elsewhere. <laughs> but uh, where I get to be the, have a conversation, but it's more calm and less stimulating, I, is the best way to put it. That's really interesting perspective, Alex. Thank you so much. What do you, what do you know about that, ambiverts? Well, I think we're all, to an extent, a little bit ambiverted. Introversion and extroversion are on a continuum, so most of us are going to fall somewhere in between. I, I, I imagine maybe there are some people who are just you know all the way to the edge introvert, but we tend to fall in between, and a lot of introverts are perfectly capable of behaving as extroverts when necessary. I call it my dog and pony show. Mm -hmm. You know, if I feel like I need to be the life of the party, I can be, but it's more a matter of how much energy I expend. But I think that there are going to be people who are closer to the center of that continuum and probably move back and forth between the two a little bit more fluidly. I've been interested to realize how many performing artists I know who offstage are pretty introverted. Yeah, well, performance is interesting. I, I, I'm perfectly comfortable speaking in public, but it, it's a matter of sort of controlling your airspace is what I call mm-hmm. it. You know, performing, particularly if you're acting and you're taking on another persona, it, it doesn't call on you to reveal anything about your real life. It, it, it allows you to put a mask on and it's, it's a way of hiding. And then when I'm speaking, for example, I often joke that the speaking is not as difficult for me as the meet and greets before and after. That's where I'm sort of a little bit tense and I have to think on my feet. It takes me a little while to come up with the chit-chat I need to make. Whereas when I'm up there with a speech or I have it, I know what I'm doing and nothing's going to blindside me. 1-800-933-5372 is our telephone number. Um, actually, before we go to another call, do you, do you prepare for small talk? No, I, I don't. I've heard people try it, and I've, I've, but uh, I tend to find that if you ask a question that about what people think about something, it, it gets them going, and it sort of crosses the line between sort of superficial chit-chat and deep, intense conversation, and I tend to aim for that. Okay, we'll go back to the phones now. We have Pretty on the line in Dallas. Hi, Pretty. Hi, Chris. I just love the show, and thank you so much for picking my call. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Um, I had a question for your guest. Uh, Being an extrovert myself, uh, whenever I go to a gathering or an occasion, um, I'm usually the one that's the center of the conversation or the mediator. And ever so often, I will have one or two people in the group that are quiet and, in my opinion, an introvert. And I take it upon myself to kind of stir the conversation to where I make them speak. And I wondered if uh, that's appreciated by uh, introverts, or do they feel like I'm putting them in a position? That's a great question. That's a really good question. I think it can be a little bit awkward, yes, for introverts. I think if you if this conversation gets steered to a point where they are naturally going to have something they want to contribute, you know, if you have a group of people and you know two are writers, say, and you bring the conversation around to books, you may get them to engage because they're interested. Uh, A lot of times the problem introverts have in groups is that they can't break into the extrovert 
chatter. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes us, it's a little bit slower. We don't jump in as quickly. So sometimes what you really want to be doing, rather than sort of dragging things out of them, is try to leave some space in the conversations to where they will feel comfortable um, participating. But I think for the most part, unless they, I think introverts would prefer to enter in their at their own pace rather than be dragged in. What does it take to develop a feel as an introvert for when to move on? When you are in that cocktail party situation, you have to be there. Um, you don't particularly enjoy small talk, but you know that it's not considered polite to sort of monopolize somebody for, you know, half an hour. Oh, my goodness. That's a great question because I do that all the time. I realize I've... I I've, do too. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess... I watch their eyes, and if their eyes start wandering, then it's time to let go. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they're if they're happy, they might be another introvert who's just as relieved as I am to have somebody to sit down and you know discuss the world's issues. But if I see that they're getting a little you know restless, um, I'll sort of find a way to to wind it down. I will also at times say, "Hey, I don't mean to keep you. You know, I'll talk your head off and and let them excuse themselves if they want to." One eight hundred nine three three five three seven two is our number. We have Fabrizio on the line in Denton. Hey, Fabrizio. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I had a question for Jeff. Okay. And, um, I wanted to uh, kind of share something and also ask a question. I used to swim in the morning and exercise in the morning, or usually if I had a party, I would do something before because I'd find that it would help me be more outgoing. Um, it would ease kind of the social and the chit-chat. And also, like she was mentioning, if you're doing something in a party, uh, I like to throw barbecues, and I like to be grilling because everybody can be having fun. I know I'm making food for people, so they're excited. And if anybody comes up to me, I can talk about the grill. So... <laughs> In terms of that exercising before a party and that chip, that, uh, that having a task, do you have any other tips besides anything that you've mentioned in order to help with the excessive introversion, if that's a way to call it? First of all, those are great strategies, Fabrizio. Thank you for sharing them. Absolutely fantastic. In fact, yes, I have my own Thanksgiving tradition of taking a walk before people arrive. We tend to have people over for Thanksgiving, and I take a walk on my own. And kind of you know look at the sky and the trees and it's wonderful. So that's a that's a really great tactic. I think pacing your, um, knowing that you have a busy stretch coming up. If you can really isolate yourself for a bit to sort of you know gain as much energy as possible before you plunge into it. It's sort of a, a larger version of taking that time to exercise, where you're sort of bracing yourself. You're getting that empty space in your head so that once you do plunge in. So, for example, if you know you have a big weekend coming with a lot of people, try not to schedule anything for the week and and take that time to really get yourself going. And then just it's sort of like okay, just close your eyes and plunge in and get and go. You know, and don't overthink it, as we talked about. We're talking about overthinking. But if, you're, if you've given yourself a lot of time to sort of breathe by yourself, it'll make it easier when the time comes to go. 
Do you ever schedule alone time? Like, well, we can't go out that this Saturday night because that's my four hours of just chilling at home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we we tend to like to be in Sunday nights. Um, I, I don't really like planning things. We'll, we'll not have people for dinner, but if we'll, we'll do it early. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like Sunday night because I know Monday, even though I work alone, but I know Monday I'm going to have to start engaging in the world a little bit more. So I really like that downtime. Um, and there have been times when I've had plans when I just think I, I can't I can't do this one. Is there a good way? I mean, do you, there's always a question of how much of an excuse you give when you decline a perfectly lovely invitation because you just don't feel up to it. Yeah, I don't think you need to, if your friends know you well and you say, I'm going to have an introvert moment, uh, I, I think you can get away with that. I've actually said to people who invite me to do things, you know, that doesn't sound like my thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like something I'm going to really enjoy, you know, if it's a big party kind of thing. Um, I don't advocate backing out of plans you've made. Um, Occasionally you can get away with it, and I think that, again, if it's close friends, particularly you can get away with it if if they're not depending on you for the plan to happen. In other words, if they've got plans with a bunch of people and you decide you're not going to join, but if they've made a plan with you, it's it's not fair to back out. but really, you can do it once or twice. If you do it too often, you just get a bad reputation and you don't get invited. We're speaking with writer Sophia Dembling. Her books include The Introvert's Way and Introverts in Love, which will be published in January. We're talking about introverts and the holidays. Join us at 1-800-933-5372. Support for KERA comes from you, our members, and from the Irving Arts Center, presenting Peruvian Gold, Ancient Treasures Unearthed, on display October 4th through December 31st. Tickets and more information at irvingartscenter.com. I'm Jeff Whittington, and I hope you'll come out and see us for a live broadcast of Anything You Ever Wanted to Know on Friday, December 5th at the AT&T Performing Arts Center in the Dallas Arts District. We'll take your questions and answers and broadcast live from noon to one. That's Anything You Ever Wanted to Know, Friday, December 5th at noon at the AT&T Performing Arts Center. We'll be just outside the Winspear Opera House across from the StoryCorps mobile booth. So come on out and see us or listen on KERA 90.1. Join us for the newsroom from the BBC and we'll bring you a fresh and lively look at what's happening in the world. Using our extensive network of correspondents, we take you to the story as it breaks. Get the facts and hear the experts on the newsroom from the BBC. Tonight at 8, after PBS NewsHour on KERA 90.1. It's the day we say thank you, but few of us can do it as movingly as Beethoven. Beethoven was very, very sick, but he recovered. And afterward, he expressed his gratitude in the slow movement of a string quartet. I'm Renee Montaigne. Musical thank yous on the next morning edition from NPR News. Tomorrow morning from 4 to 9 on KERA 90.1. You're listening to your source for NPR News, 90.1 KERA. It's 143. 
Funding for Think comes from SMU Graduate Liberal Studies programs. Accepting applications for January to design your own Master of Liberal Studies degree at SMU with concentrations in global studies, creative writing, and organizational dynamics. More at smu.edu slash MLS. You're listening to Think on KERA 90.1. I'm Chris Boyd. We're speaking this hour with writer Sophia Dembling, whose books include The Introvert's Way and the upcoming Introverts in Love, which will be published in January. If you want to talk about introverts and the holidays, you can call us at 1-800-933-5372 or email think at kera.org. Is there like an ideal sort of party for an introvert? Would you rather go to a party where there's a scheduled activity, you're playing a game together or whatever, than one that just includes talking and drinking? Personally, not games for me, but I, 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 I think there are plenty of introverts who would like that very much. And activity is kind of nice. You know, I'd, I'd do a crafting party or something mm-hmm. like that. For me, the ideal party is maybe 10 to 20 people, most of whom I know. I like dinner parties very much. I, li- I like them to be fairly intimate. It, it, it's mostly the size that really helps me out. If there's too many people, I go a little bit catatonic. Mm-hmm. I, I can't deal with that much. But having things to do, yeah, is a really good way to get through a party um, and get through a family family gatherings. You know, I wanted to mention, too, movies are a great way to be with people but have that alone, quiet space. So, yeah, I think that having things to do can be good, but not if it's an extroverted activity. Like I was invited once to one of those murder mystery dinner parties. Oh, a lot of like audience participation, yeah, that kind of thing? Yeah, no, uh-huh. thank you. I, I, <laughs> I, that was one of those times when I said thank you very much, but it just it, it doesn't sound like me. I don't think I can do it. <laughs> Have you ever been surprised by something that you didn't, you, you sort of had to go to and then thought, well, this was not so bad? I'm putting you on the spot, so if you don't think of anything at the uh, moment. Okay. I don't think so. I, I do, you know, I'm also a travel writer, and I travel in groups quite a bit. And I have found that I can enjoy that. Once I realized that I needed to take control of getting alone time when I could, I found that I could enjoy that. But I, I don't think so. I'm usually pretty good if I think I'm not going to enjoy something. one eight hundred nine three three five three seven two is our number. We have Ray on the line in Dallas. Hello, Ray. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I'm calling because I uh, have always been a very natural extrovert. But as I've gotten older, I have really enjoyed uh, my alone time. I've enjoyed being uh, reflective and introspective. And I was just wondering, can introverts change or extroverts change over time? Well, it's an interesting question, and I'm not really sure entirely of the answer. It seems that we have sort of a baseline. The the with with all the brain imaging that's happening now, the, the advances, they're starting to look at brains of introverts and extroverts, and they are starting to find some differences, which would suggest that we sort of have a baseline introvert-extroversion uh, that doesn't change. But I think life situations, as they change, we sort of lean towards one or the other. You know, we're on a continuum, so there are times, like, for example, when you're in your 20s and the peer group is very important, you're probably going to call on your extroversion a little more. But then as you get older, it's uh, more acceptable to quiet down and you may allow yourself to indulge in your introversion. But I think that we don't change 
essentially, it's sort of the surface behaviors that will change. And I suppose um, people can learn to manage the, the, the wonderful or the problematic parts of their extroversion or introversion over time. Yes. When you, when you learn to manage it, it sort of seems, I mean, I, I, what I tell myself it's a lot easier to go to parties if I know I can leave when I have to. Mm-hmm. And so I am able to tap into my extroversion a little more easily because I am giving my permission, giving myself permission to be an introvert when I have to. And so that sort of allows me to slip back and forth between the two a little more easily than I might have before when it would be like, oh my gosh, if I go to that party, I'm stuck I'm trapped. There. Yeah, right. I'm trapped. 1-800-933-5372 is our number. George is on the line now in Ulysses. Hello, George. Hello, uh, first-time caller. Uh, I wanted to circle back to something y'all were speaking about uh, a little while ago. Uh, you had mentioned that uh, a lot of times extroverts will uh, ask introverts, are you okay, are you okay? Um, and I find myself doing that a lot with my spouse. And um, she has told me in the past that, hey, you kind of project uh, your feelings, and you, uh, when you keep asking me, is everything okay, sometimes I start feeling poorly because you think something's wrong. And now, uh, obviously, the answer is, you know, I should quit doing that. But a lot of times then I have trouble deciding when there's something actually wrong and when there's not. So I guess uh, what's your advice to kind of uh, help with uh, understanding introverts when they're not feeling well and when they are feeling well without, you know, asking them, are you okay? I think that that's a really good conversation for couples to have, and I don't think it's in my book, but I'm going to say it now, (laughs) is you will stop asking, are you okay, are you okay, if she will agree that if she's not okay, she will say so. Mm -hmm. She'll bring it up. I mean, a lot of times introverts, I think, sort of wait to be pulled out, wait to be drawn out. I am guilty of this. My husband's going, oh, my goodness. Um, But really, if she doesn't want you to be asking, are you okay, are you okay, you have to trust that when she's not okay, she'll bring it up to you and she'll let you know. And so that's something that may require an explicit conversation to figure out and to figure out maybe the signal (laughs) that says, I'm not okay. I love something that came up in the book, which is the idea of for these mixed couples where one's an introvert, one's an extrovert, um, how much time alone is appropriate and how you how you negotiate that without making the other person feel like, you know, the other 90% of the time, like you don't want them around. Again, it's it, it's a conversation and it's a matter of, of understanding each other. You know, one thing you have to get used to, for example, is that if the extrovert needs to go out more, you have to let them go out without you with no guilt trips, with no sighs, without texting every 15 minutes. You have to sort of allow them to be the extrovert they are and not not say it's okay and then behave passive aggressively right. that it's, it's not. So I'm yeah, guessing yeah. that's a process over time. It's a process. It is it's a continual negotiation. It's the same with, you know, if if you're if you need time alone, you need to be okay with that being alone and not always insist that the extrovert stay home with you. And mm-hmm. I, when I say alone, alone in a couple time. Yeah. You know, but if you want aloneness, you have to own that aloneness and not expect somebody else to facilitate it for you. Back to the phones now. This time we will speak with Ian in Fort Worth. Hi, Ian. Hi. Um, I'm an extrovert and my fiance is an introvert. And we haven't ever had that conversation where if I don't talk with people or get the extrovert experience that I'm expecting when I'm at a party or throughout the week, 
that it does make me feel depressed. And I hadn't even realized that until you mentioned it on the show. But we're planning a wedding. And with the planning of the wedding, there's a lot of talk from her about, let's just elope, let's just skip the wedding and not have it. And her mother's the one funding it, so we can't actually either way. But is there anything I can do to make it more accessible for her? Because I know she is an introvert, and she doesn't have the same problem where if I don't talk with people, I get depressed. Is there anything that I can do to converse with her and figure out anything else that I might need to understand about interactions with people and how to make the wedding go more smoothly? Well, I think you can help her find some quiet space during the wedding. Um, you know, this the wed- it's one of those things where you just have to grit your teeth and, and try to enjoy it. I mean, certainly the, the wonderful thing about a wedding is that you're likely to have a group of people together that you'll never have together in yeah. the same room again. And so you want to sort of savor that and not try to avoid it. Although one couple I spoke to in Introverts in Love, they were actually newlyweds, said that in the middle of the wedding, they went and hung out, hung out in the kitchen together for a while. And, you know, the, the catering staff was busy and nobody paid attention to them, but they just sort of reached a point where they had done as much you know, uh, mingling as they could bear for the time being. And so they bailed out for a few minutes. But as much interference as you can run, you know, you kind of keep an eye on on her to see if maybe she needs you to come and say, oh, I need you to come do something and pull her out of a chit-chat uh, vortex. Or um, So really, it's just kind of paying attention to when she might need to break away and if you can somehow facilitate a little bit of quiet time for her. There's also a huge difference in the energy of a wedding with 50 guests and a wedding with 500 guests. Mm-hmm. In some ways, 500, well, if you're the center of attention, 500 guests can be tough. A lot of times, the larger the group, the easy, if, if it's not people you have to interact with, the easier it is. Like mm-hmm. when, I'm needing, if, when I'm needing to be around people but don't want to interact, going to like the state fair is perfect, mm-hmm. you know, where you can watch a lot of people. Uh, but yeah, with, with a 500-person wedding, which if you can talk family out of not having that. That's, I guess, where you start. You sort of just have to gut up, just try to rest up as much as you can beforehand. Know everybody's here to love you and not drive you crazy and just get through to the other side. So the state fair thing is interesting because that's an an experience where you can easily be entirely invisible almost mm-hmm. in a giant crowd of people. It's wonderful. Yes, yeah, state fair, going to uh, baseball games. I grew up in New York City. The streets of New York are wonderful. I think Clyde Warren Park is one of the greatest things to happen to Dallas because it allows you to go out and be among people mm-hmm. to just watch, you know, alone or not. And yes, I, I again, I love watching people. I don't necessarily need to interact with them all the time. And any sort of alone-in-the-crowd situation, to me, is just wonderful. And I hear from a lot of introverts who enjoy that. And in a crowd, if you do choose to interact, everybody knows it's for like 30 seconds, yeah, right? You're right. Not just, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be extended small talk. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back uh, to the phones now. We have Christopher on the line in Denton. Hey, Christopher. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Sure. So uh, mine's kind of retracing to... Uh, the holidays coming up and, and people with autism having some difficulty uh, adjusting to that. And I think I might have a suggestion, and hopefully you can elaborate. Um, but I, I worked with children with autism for a few years, and I found that in times of transition like that, um, you know, perhaps reaching out to family members that you're expecting to come to Thanksgiving, for instance, and, and just touching base beforehand, before all of those nonverbal cues and everything come into play, it could help them transition with, with seeing all these people they haven't seen for a long time. So just curious to hear your thoughts on that. 
Well, that yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, I'm not an autism expert, so I can't really address autism. But one of the things a lot of couples will do um, is sort of the 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 partner of the introvert will let their family know, hey, this person is quiet. It doesn't mean anything. They're having a fine time. Don't worry about it. Uh, we had I had couples in the book who did that, who would sort of brief their family before the big family events that, you know, he's going to be quiet. He's going to keep to himself. It's fine. And that sort of helped pave the way for that the introvert to feel comfortable, to feel that he could be who he was without worrying about how he was being perceived. They already knew how he was. Let's go back to the phones. This time we have Bob on the line in Dallas. Hey, Bob. Hello. Hi. Go right ahead, please. Uh, my my uh, question is um, that uh, the common uh, wisdom is that uh, introverts are less secure in their personalities, whereas extroverts are seemingly more secure. But do you not think that some extroverts uh, can be overcompensating for their own insecurities and rather cross the line into being uh, <clears throat> egotistical or perhaps even a bore. But I'll take my answer off the air. Well, Bob, thank you for your call. So far, I've been very careful not to make value judgments here, but maybe you want to yeah, jump no, in Yeah, no, I think, I think that uh, the security, insecurity, narcissism, not narcissism, another one that's got thrown around, has, has absolutely nothing to do with, with who introverts are. It's, it's not about that at all. I think that introverts perhaps can be behave in an insecure fashion because they are expected to behave as extroverts. I think the more you allow yourself to be the introvert you are, the more secure you can come across. It's sort of this this attitude of going in apologizing for who you are all the time or feeling that you're somehow lesser because you're not extroverted. That will make introverts come across at times as insecure. But I think once we just say, yeah, I'm an extrovert, yeah, I'm an introvert, you know, I sit in the corner, I'm fine, it, it puts out a whole other message. Do, do most introverts deal with that, like, one person in their life, that one annoying uncle who will, who just won't let it go and, and isn't quite okay with knowing you very well and, and letting you be an introvert? There, there are, I mean, I don't know if everybody has one, but they're definitely out there. A lot of times it's parents, which is pretty rough, um, particularly for adolescents, certainly, with who parents. think they're trying to sort of push their kids yeah. out into the world, or they get taken into therapy because the parents think they're depressed and they're just. I had one mom I heard from who had a little a, a child who a, a small child in kindergarten who was depressed, who was uh, introverted, excuse me, and the teacher was very worried and you know called the parent in and he plays by himself and so the mom just turned to the kid and said, "Do you mind playing by yourself?" He said, "No, I like it," and that's all you really need to know. You know, if the kid's fine with it, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, um, are you do you have a lot of holiday parties on your schedule already this year? Not yet, not yet already. We we have a fairly small holiday. We don't have family nearby, mm-hmm. so ours tend to be fairly quiet. Um, I'd like to try to stir up another thing introverts tend to like is throwing our own parties because then we know everybody and we have a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sophia Dembling's books include The Introvert's Way and Introverts in Love. That one will be published in January. You can find her blog, The Introvert's Corner, online at Psychology Today. Sophia, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a blast. Thank you. Think is produced by Stephen Becker and engineered today by Eric Bright. Lindsay Connect is assistant producer. Jeff Whittington is executive producer. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Boyd Think, and you can contact the show via email at think at kera.org. Once again, I'm Chris Boyd. Thanks for listening and have a great day.